if you'll turn to Galatians, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians. Galatians is an interesting letter. If you were to put Galatians up next to the rest of Paul's letters, you will find something very unique, especially at the, in, the introduction of the book of Galatians. You do, not find a, you do not find a real flowery approach. Paul really doesn't ease into it. He doesn't build them up very much. He doesn't... Uh, when you read Ephesians, he says, To you who are faithful in Christ Jesus, you flip over to Philippians and he says... He says, I thank my God in every remembrance of you. But here in Galatians, you find a man who is, is, is very angry. You, found, you find a man who is very upset over what is going on in these churches. You, you will see Paul numerous times talk about the foolish Galatians. How amazed he is at their desertion. And the reason for that is because what is at stake here and what Paul is dealing with here is the most foundational, important thing he could write about. What is the gospel? How is someone saved? It, it is a common understanding of the gospel. That, that is what I want us to understand through this study of Galatians, to understand why it's such a big deal to take anything away or, or add anything to the gospel. And my fear is that many of us, when we think about the gospel, we see that as, again, something that we get saved by. It's something for the unsaved, and it's something that we move away from. That the gospel is simply something that you have your sins forgiven by, and then you, you go off and pursue something else. Paul, Paul deals with that in, in chapter 3. He says, are you so foolish? He, he starts in verse 2. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing of the faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? What is the gospel? Is it good only for non-believers? Is it, is, it, is it good for believers too? What, 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 is it something that we, again, we check that box and then we set it aside and we go live by something else? What I, what I want us to see in this study of Galatians is that the gospel has everything to do not only for the believer but for the unbeliever. And, and as we close today, I want us to see the wonderful news that the gospel brings not only to the unbeliever but to the believer. And what we'll see here in Galatians is that for Paul, the gospel was everything. Paul went to great lengths to, to protect and to preach a pure, unadulterated gospel. Because it is, it is only here that, that true joy and freedom that Christ came to, to offer, to deliver us from and to, is found. Satisfaction. Security, fuel, fruit, everything, every one of those comes from the beauty and the simplicity of a pure gospel, a free gospel. 
And I, and I say that, we titled that only, not only because the gospel is free, it's totally of grace, but when understood for rightly, when you understand the gospel believer, the gospel not only is free, but it frees us. It frees us. And this is what we'll see as we study Galatians. Paul, again, just to context, he's writing to a group of churches that he had planted, and, and they were beginning to grow. In some ways, like us, they, were, they had been saved, they had heard the gospel, they had believed the gospel that Paul preached to them about Christ's death, his burial, his resurrection. But then at some point along the way, a group of individuals that are called Judaizers, they came along and said that, hey, no, 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 in order for you to be saved, it's Christ plus something. For them specifically, it was basically Christ plus become a Jew. The, the, the main issue that we'll see here in Galatians, it's Christ plus circumcision. Specifically, that's going to be, and, and he makes that, I won't spoil it, but he makes that very, very clear in chapter 5. You can go read it. Paul uses very, very graphic language to show the, the, the ups, how upset he is regarding this and the foolishness of Christ plus keep the law. Even Christ plus keep one law, really, is what he says. Because you can't stop there. And he's going to say, if it's Christ plus anything, it's Christ plus everything. And for the Judaizers, again, it was Christ plus the Mosaic law. You had to follow certain rules, do specific things, and again, the issue of circumcision was the main issue. You'll see in chapter 2, Paul talks about the council at Jerusalem. You can go back to Acts 15. That was the, the issue. Does, you have all these Jewish believers, Gentiles are now coming into the fold, and the question was this, does a person have to be circumcised in order to be saved? And, and I realize, again, in our culture, that, that's not an issue. Most, most of us boys... There, our parents dealt with that early on. And I'm, and, and, but you can understand, if you live in a culture where there's not an issue, and you can imagine not being crude, but you can imagine yourself being a 16-year-old boy and you come to Christ, I want to know for sure if this is an issue or not. And you can understand the simplicity of the gospel. Is it Christ plus something, or is it Christ plus nothing? Is it Christ plus you know, the, go through the festivals, is it Christ plus this, is it Christ plus that? The reality is if we're honest, if we're honest with ourselves, it's not Christ plus circumcision today, we're a little more clever than that because that's not a cultural issue. It's Christ plus maybe what you watch, how often you go to church, how often you read your Bible. It's Christ plus, hey, don't drink or smoke or chew. Christ plus wear your clothes a certain way. It's out there. We're, we're more clever. We're a little more subtle. But Christ plus, that theology, it still exists. It's still around. And what Paul is going to boil this down to is what is the true gospel? Is it purely Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection? Or is it Christ plus something else? At stake here, understand, at stake here is this. How is a person saved? How, how are they saved? 
This is a big deal. We better get it right. And the challenge is, is that there are many ways that if we're not careful, we can pervert the gospel. And that's the issue then and it's the issue now. And that is what I want us to see. I want us to be a people who fight for the purity of the gospel, who understand why the purity of the gospel matters, but also who understands the effects of a pure gospel. I pray that this series will, will free people up, but will also fuel people. Because the gospel does affect every area of our lives. It's not get saved by the gospel and then go live however you want to live. Paul deals with that in chapter 5 as well. Christ has not freed us to, be, uh, to be, again be slaves to sin. or He's not freed us to just go live however we want to live. He's freed us to live for Him. Romans 8 says that, that those who are unsaved are not even able to serve Him. That's what He's freed us to do. He has literally taken us from slavery to sin and given us a new master, namely Himself. If, if, we were, if we were to give an overview quickly of Galatians, chapters 1 and 2, Paul is defending his apostleship, but he's doing that with, still with an emphasis on the gospel. He's defending his apostleship. An apostle was a messenger. Uh, there, were, there were very strict guidelines about an apostle. There were qualifications. You'll see in Paul writes in the Corinthians that he was a special apostle. He says one of untimely birth. But, but by God's grace at the Damascus Road, Paul, the risen Savior, met Paul, showed himself to Paul, and he met the qualifications. The question becomes, are there apostles today not like Paul? We may be a messenger in a general sense, but not in a, not in a sense of Paul. I, I've been, I, I drive on, on I-10 coming home from my parents' house and I see apostles, Mr. and Mrs. Apostle such and such. I'm like, close your eyes, Bradley. Close your eyes, Sarah. They don't exist today in the sense that, that Paul is talking about here. He was, he was called specifically. So verses 1 and 2, he's defending his apostleship, but he's also emphasizing the gospel. Chapter 3 and 4 is a continuation of a pure gospel. Christ plus what equals salvation. That's what Paul is going to answer. And then in chapters 5 and 6, Paul talks about a life as a believer being fueled by that gospel. But at the core, everything about this book is, a, is gospel-centered. How are you saved and what, how do you live once you're saved? So before we move on, you'll see it on your, your handout, and, and I've sort of tipped... My hand, and by the way, we have binders down here after the service. If you want to come get a new binder for a new study, the little white binders, if you want to start one for Galatians, they're down here. If we need to get more, we will. But before we start this study, I, 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 want, to, I want to ask you, in, in all honesty, how would you complete that equation on your handout? Christ plus blank equals salvation. That, that's the issue. In a nutshell, that's Galatians. How is a person saved? And then as a saved person, how do they live? What does the gospel do in them? What are the implications of the gospel? And how we answer this question, how we fill in that equation is of utmost importance. 
I want, I want us to think about these questions. Do we truly understand and grasp the gospel? Do, do we grasp the effects that the gospel has, not, on, not just our lives on Sunday mornings, but every single day, every moment, every single aspect of our lives? Whether single, whether married, whether alone, whether in groups, whether outside your house, whether inside of your house, what you read, what you... Everything, again... The gospel impacts that. It fuels it. It changes. As a slave to Christ, as a redeemed individual, it changes every aspect of our lives. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Why he said in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 20, you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. He didn't say you've been bought with a price, now go live however you want to live. You've been bought. Literally, salvation is taking you from being a slave to sin, which the result is death. You now become a slave to Christ, and the result is eternal life. But you're still a slave. You just have a new master. You have a good master. You have a master who loves you, a master who is willing to give up his life for you. And therefore, you know what we do in response to that? We give up our lives serving Him, but it's out of joy. And hear me, what we're going to see in Galatians is the gospel fuels that. O- obedience to the things of Christ are not meant to be drudgery. They're meant to be a joy. They're not meant to be like what for some of us Valentine's Day is. I mean, it's supposed to be joy. It, it don't turn out to be joy. It's pressure and it's work. I just tip my hat. Pray for Karen. But, but, but... Obedience to Christ, following Christ, making much of Christ, it is intended to be a joy. And it's fueled by the gospel. That's why it's a joy, because it's not me doing it. It's literally Christ in me. Christ in me. I mean, if we add, listen, if we, if, is it Christ alone or do we add anything to it? Even down to the glory of salvation. If I work, then I get the credit. If I've earned it, I get the credit. But if God did it, guess who gets the credit? He gets the credit. And Paul deals with this in, in Romans 4. Listen, listen to Romans 4, 1 through 10. What, that one, what then shall we say to this? Uh, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, is found? Listen, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but is what is due. But to one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks to the blessing of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? For we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. You go to Galatians 3, you know what Paul's going to say? By the way, how many times did he, he said that he said circumcised? I just realized that in reading that. He said that a lot. Sorry, attention issues. You look at Galatians 3, you know what Paul's going to say? Hey, 
is it, do you get saved by keeping the law? He says, Abraham didn't get saved by keeping the law. The, Abraham got saved 430 years before the law ever came. It was faith. If we bring, listen, if we bring anything to the table for salvation, we earn it and it's no longer grace. Every two weeks, Idlewild puts an amount of money in my, in my account. Guess what? I don't, I don't say, oh, you are so gracious. No, I earned it, hopefully. I worked hard. It, it, look, and, and we try in our flesh, we want to, part of our sinfulness is we want to feel like we earned it. The challenge is this, if we earned it, then we better keep earning it. You better pre- be prepared to keep earning it. But it's if, gra- if, it, if it's given of grace, guess what? It's all of grace. The other thing is this, if I can earn it, then you know what? That then creeps in the possibility that maybe I can lose it. Because, you know, I earned it. So maybe if I stop doing what earned it, then can I lose it? Th- these are big issues. Everything is affected by how we answer this question. Christ plus what equals salvation? Because listen, if God grants it by grace, then it always remains by grace. You didn't earn it, and you don't keep it. God earned it, and God keeps it. It means this, I, can't, I didn't earn it, I can't lose it. It's all up to God and for the glory of God. And the question becomes this, then what does obedience play? Then what role does obedience play? And Paul's going to answer that. He's going to tell us that in chapter 5 and 6. And the reality is, I'll just give you a little clue. Our obedience is going to be fueled by the gospel. It's not going to be according to me. It's going to be Christ in me. This is, a five, this is Ephesians 5.18. Let Christ dwell in your hearts, he says, and, and fill up with the Spirit that it will control you. Be filled with the Spirit. That word filled means controlled. And so, just so we're on the same page, real quickly, you'll see on your handout there, when I, I've mentioned the gospel, I want us to have a working definition as we finish this sermon and beyond. And, and the definition is this, the gospel is God's unmerited favor to His creation through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Unmerited. Totally unmerited. And what we're going to see in Galatians is again that Christians need the gospel as much as non-Christians. Everything in our life is going to be sourced in that gospel from which we were saved. Both both our initial salvation and our living out that salvation. Because Paul is going to show us that even our obedience is an overflow of the gospel and of salvation and what that gospel produces in us. And God is going to get all the credit. Just like Daniel saying this morning, 1 Corinthians 1.31, if we're going to boast, guess who we're going to boast in? God. The reality is what we'll see in Galatians is, is how we live as believers is because of an understanding, a deeper understanding of what God has done in the gospel. Through the power provided to us through the gospel. That, that's exactly what he says in in 5.13, you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into opportunity of flesh, but through love serve one another, for the whole law is filled up in the statement, love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 16, but I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not desire to carry out the desires of the flesh. It's the Spirit in us. The, the fact that the gospel is free, the fact that, that God has done it, that, that it's all of grace, doesn't give us a license to live how we want to live. 
And what we'll see here is that it's the very gospel itself that not only secures our salvation, but empowers and fuels and drives our present living. It's the gospel. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 13 and 14. He's talking about living and how do, we, how do we live in the fear of the Lord and what we use our life on. He says, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. Listen, for the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. That, that word controls, it literally means compels. You know what fueled Paul's life? The fact that Jesus Christ had died for sinful humanity. Fueled everything about his life. Everything about why he did what he did went back and was sourced in this, that Jesus Christ had died. And he was going to spend his life telling the world about that. that that's exactly what Paul says here in verses 1 through 4. Listen to me, uh, 1 through 5. Paul, an apostle not sent from men through the agency of men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. Paul never ever got over the fact that God had rescued him. That had taken him out of a slavery that was going to lead to eternal death and had placed him in himself, in a slavery that would live to eternal life. That singular fact guided it everything about Paul's life. And, and what he shows us is that the gospel transforms everything about our lives. Our thoughts, our heart, our affections, our thinking, everything now gets approached through the lens of the gospel. Why? Because he had been rescued. He had been rescued. That, that is exactly what Paul says in Galatians 1.4, who gave himself for our sins that he might rescue us from this present evil age. In our sinfulness, we were totally lost, totally helpless, and could not save ourselves. Nothing. He, he did not. And that is exactly what Jesus came to do, to seek and to save the lost. Not to be a good teacher, not simply to heal, ultimately to seek and to save the lost. And in verse 4, he tells us, how did he rescue us? It says, through his life. He gave up his life. He gave up his life that he might rescue us. The, the gospel teaches us this, that Jesus substituted himself in our place. And he died for the penalty of our sins. He was a substitute. He's not a, not a mulligan. He's not a redo. He's not just a man upstairs. He's a substitute. Is, I mean, he did everything that salvation required. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Somebody's got to die. Jesus said, I'll die. I'll, obedient, I'll be obedient to my Father to the point of death. Sin demanded death, and Jesus did that in our place. That's why, listen, that's why you can read in Romans 8.1, for, no, for there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You say, how is that possible, Chris? Because Jesus Christ took your condemnation. 
There's condemnation, but Jesus Christ took it. He took it for us. God's wrath, his condemnation towards sin came, fell upon Jesus. And when we, when we take Jesus on as our Savior, we become absolutely free from condemnation or any penalty for our sin because the debt has been paid in full. And what Paul is going to teach us is that salvation is not about what man can do. It's about what Christ has done. He died in our place. He's our substitute. And even in verse 1, Paul, Paul gets to that. You see it as well in, in, in Romans 1-4 about the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection of Christ proved that God was satisfied with what Christ did. That's why he could say it's finished. Three days later, he's resurrected. He's seated at the right hand of God. God was satisfied. Think, think about this illustration. On Saturdays, sometimes you have a to-do list. You have lots of things you need to do. So you, you get out and you embark on that list. And guess what? When you come in, you don't come in and take a shower and sit down in your favorite chair until what? Until the list is done. The fact that you, you look in the Old Testament, the, the priests in the Old Testament, they, they never were seen as sitting down. Why? Because there was always a sacrifice to be made for the people's sin. And Jesus Christ made one sacrifice once and for all, died, buried, resurrected, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Why? Because salvation is complete. The sacrifice is made. All who come to Jesus, who, all who believe in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection can be saved. Why? Because the penalty is paid. God's holiness, His righteousness, all that satisfied in Christ. All the righteous demands of the law satisfied in Jesus Christ. Therefore, He could sit down. One sacrifice, once and for all. Christ's work is complete. God's whole, his, his demands have been satisfied. That, that is why, listen, we don't do anything to add to it and we can't take anything away. Look at verse 3. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace and mercy, they come through Christ. Grace, God's unmerited favor through the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. Why? Because there is forgiveness now available through Jesus Christ. Where there was once enmity, Romans 5 says, now as, as, as we believe in Christ, there's peace. Why? Because we've been forgiven. Our sins have been wiped clean. And, and even right there, that's where we struggle because by nature, if we're honest, we don't deal with grace well, we don't really understand grace well. We, we had the chance to spend some time uh, with a, a Muslim couple, and that was the thing in the gospel that they utterly had no comprehension about was grace. That you could be saved once and for all, that you could know from today on that you're saved. And, and I tried to tell them, grace is the scandal of the gospel. It's singularly that which separates the gospel that this Bible preaches from every other so-called gospel in the world. It's grace. The fact that God would die in our place utterly, utterly can't deal with it. Grace. And, and listen, even, even us as, as, I'll say, Christians have a hard time with it. 
You talk to people and, and ask them about their salvation, here's what they'll say. I found God. I figured God out. I looked at all my options out there, and you know what? I, I started following God. That, that's not what the Bible says. You didn't find God. You're dead. Ephesians 2.1, you're dead in your trespasses. He came to you. Those are subtle ways that we, we love to take credit for our salvation. Salvation is all of grace. E even our, you look at Romans 2, 4, even our, even our repentance is a gift from God. I mean, you think about this, a person who is drowning, a person who is literally drowning, and you throw them a lifeline, and you save them, you rescue them. Imagine if they were talking to the news and they said, well, you know what, I grabbed the rope. You know what, I, I swam over a couple feet to the ring. You know what, if I hadn't a dog pedaled there for five, ten minutes while they could get to me, you know, I, 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 are you crazy? No, the credit goes to the person who threw you the ring. The credit goes to the person who pulled you in. I mean, imagine and say, well, I went in that bad of shape. You know, I think given a little bit more time, I could have figured it out. You're drowning. God gets the credit. God did everything in regards to our salvation. Everything. He gets the credit. There was nothing in us that merited, deserved, warranted, that, that appealed to God to say, you know what, He's worthy of being saved. He deserves to be saved. No, we deserve to be condemned. And God in His grace saved us. And that's verse 5. To whom be the glory forevermore. Why? Because God did all the work. And, and here's why this matters. Listen to me. This is why, this is singularly why this matters. And if you don't hear anything else today, hear this. God's approval is not dependent upon our effort. His approval of you and His approval of me as believers is not dependent on my effort. And I want you to see this because you'll see how freeing it is. The fact that God's approval of you and me as a believer is not dependent upon my performance of Him. Satan loves to get us to forget or deny this truth, to think that God's approval is performance-based, especially after salvation, that it's up to us. And rather than being transformed and changed by the love of God, Satan wants us to think that we need to look for our own forms of validation, that we want to steal God's glory, that, that, okay, God, thanks for saving me, but I got it from here. Listen, God's approval of you and me is based upon Christ's work and the gospel on our behalf. Please hear that. God's approval of you is based on what His Son did. And God is totally and forever satisfied in what His Son did. Therefore, guess what? He's totally and forever satisfied in those who are in His Son. Those who believe upon His Son. If we are in Christ, God is satisfied with us. We're His children. I love Bradley and Sarah Grace. Why? Because they're my children. They're my children. And guess what? Even all analogies break down because our illustrations, because again, you know, kids are kids, and parents are parents, and Bradley probably loves being my son, and Sarah Grace probably loves being my son, and then some days they're like, well, can we get her mulligan? 
But guess what? They're always going to be my kids. Will their behavior, will their behavior stunt the enjoyment of that relationship, the fellowship of that relationship? Absolutely, their lives will. But at the end of the day, guess what? Bradley and Sarah Grace are mine and Karen's forever. Therefore, I love them. It's not based on performance. It's not based on whether he catches a touchdown or gets good grades or she does that. It doesn't matter. They're my son. They're my daughter. And, he, and here's the thing, guys. Let, hear this. When we, try to, when we try to help God out, when we try to take credit for our salvation, do you understand what we're doing? We're saying that, Christ, your work wasn't sufficient. That there was a gap. That, you know what, you left it short and I've got to finish up here. That's what we're saying. That, there was, that, 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 that his work on our behalf was insufficient. And that's what makes Paul so mad in Galatians. You're just, he literally says you're destroying. Look what he says in verse 8. We'll get there next week. But he says, If we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached in you, he is to be accursed. He says the same thing in verse 9. If I or anyone else preaches the gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. When you think of the gospel, this is the beauty. In the gospel, God reminds me that he could not love me any more than he loves me right now. Why? Because he can't love his son any more than he loves his son right now. Are there, now hear me, are there repercussions, are there consequences for our sin? Absolutely, and that's again, our minds drift in these places, and Paul's going Paul's to reel that back in in chapter 5 and 6. But our approval is not based on our performance, it's based on Christ. My acceptance is through Christ's acceptance. It's based on Christ. Christ's work needs nothing added to it. It's finished, it's perfect, it's complete. And it can be applied to my life and your life through faith. And we undercut, listen to me, we undercut the goodness and the awesomeness of the gospel when on one side we act like we were better than we were, like we were less sinners than we were, like like we could have gotten it on our own if we just had enough time. Or when we exaggerate the gospel and salvation and and think that that we can just go live however we want to live. We're undercutting the gospel. And hear me, the gospel, the gospel, the beauty of the gospel is this. It reminds me at at the same time, I was more wicked than I would ever care to believe, but at the very same time, I'm more loved because of what Christ did than I would ever dare to hope. At the very same time, I am more of a sinner than I even realize right now. And at the very same time, because of Christ, I'm more loved than I would ever know. That's why, as Daniel said this morning in Ephesians 3, Paul prays that you would understand the height and the depth and the length and the width of God's what? Love. His love. For you to understand how much He loves us. And when I try to diminish my sin, it would be like Chad, for instance, saying, Chris, I, I'm going I'm to pay your mortgage off. And, and I don't, the problem is, I, if I didn't know what my mortgage was, I'm like, okay, thanks, I guess. I mean, if I thought my mortgage was 12000 and my real, mortgage was really $2 million, 
There's a big difference there. The problem with you and me is my sinfulness and your sinfulness dulls us to our own sinfulness. And so when we see that Christ paid our debt, we think our debt was about 12000 when really it was about $20 billion. I mean, that's, that's Matthew 18. That's what he's teaching in Matthew 18. I, I was looking the other day, I was meeting with Zerny, and we, he, he was talking about something about the national debt, and there's a website where you can see the national debt is just, just spinning out of control. This is not a political statement, so be, just be at ease. But as I was showing Zerny that and we were talking about it, I thought, you know what? That's probably what God's grace to me and you looks like as well. Like if you were calculating God's grace and you could see it, the numbers would be spinning so crazy out of control to think that I'm going to throw you a 10 or a 20 is crazy. To think without, without something magnanimous happening, like I'm not eliminating that debt. And God sent His Son to eliminate the debt. Literally, God Himself died and eliminated the debt. And, and again, the twofold beauty of that is this. Whether you're here today and you have no relationship with Jesus Christ or whether you're here today and you say, I'm saved, the gospel has good news for you. And, and here it is. You see it on your handout. To those who have not repented of their sins, to those who are in here and have not believed upon the work of Jesus at the cross, Paul says there is freedom from sin and its penalty to be had in the gospel. There's freedom. You can be set free from your sin and its penalty through Christ alone. No matter what, listen, no matter what you've done, no matter what your debt is, no matter what you say, Chris, you don't, I don't need to know. Because God knows. And He put His Son on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin and my sin, no matter what it was. No matter how little the debt was or how proverbially big the debt was, it's only through Christ. No matter what you've done, that's the good news of the gospel. Sinner, no matter where you are today, no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've run, how hard you've hated Christ, Paul was a murderer of Christians, and God saved him. A murderer of Christians. Literally, in, in Acts 7, it's Stephen's death, he's around the corner laughing, cheering him on, figuring out how he can go after him. And at that very moment, Christ stopped him in his tracks and called him to be an apostle. Forgiven. 100% forgiven. Just like that. But to those of us who are in here today and would say, I am a believer, Chris. I believe in Jesus Christ. I've had my sins forgiven. Paul's going to show us in Galatians how the gospel fuels us to live out that freedom correctly. How we live that out, having been freed from sin, how to rightly live it out, and it's the gospel. It's going back to the gospel and seeing the beauty of all that I've tried to say today, and that fuels our living. What, what Paul is saying is embrace, believer, embrace your identity in the gospel and live that out. You are a redeemed, forgiven, set-apart son and daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's adopted you. Ephesians says He has lavished grace upon you. 1 John, see how great the love of the Father is that we should be called children of God. 
First John, he goes on to say, My dear children, I write these things to you so that you will not sin. But if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ literally lives today to make intercession for you and me, believer. Grace. You see what I'm saying? You're not, gonna, you're, you're not, you're not bringing that to the table. It's grace. Remind yourself, God has accepted you because he has accepted Christ. And that's, that, that's what matters. In spite of my sinfulness and your sinfulness, you can be accepted in Jesus Christ through His death, burial, and resurrection. And this acceptance lasts forever. You didn't earn it, you can't lose it. And what He's going to say in Galatians is that you go live because you're accepted. Not in order to be accepted, but because you are accepted. I remember as a kid, my parents told me, very early on, and it's one of those things that sticks with you for the rest of your life. They said, Chris, and, and there's a lot of, I'm not saying this to disgrace anybody, there, there's a lot of divorce and a lot of struggles. My dad never met his real father. The man that raised him for the greater part of his life was an alcoholic. My, my dad will tell stories of him, my dad had, uh, he's the oldest, he had sisters and a, and a brother and would literally, my dad's, the guy that he knew, Don, would come home drunk and my dad would have to really wrestle him in his submission and would, would literally pin his hand in the door and hold it there until he would pass out to protect, to protect the rest of his siblings. By God's grace, later on in my grandfather's life, I, I, I don't know that about him. Really, the grandfather that I knew was an amazing man. And here's the difference. At one point later on in his life, by the grace of God, he repented of his sinfulness and became a Christian. And he began comforting others with the comfort that he was comforted with. And, and from my account, he was a phenomenal grandfather. My dad will tell you that the last 10 years of his life, he was a phenomenal father. Unfortunately, the things he had done to his body took its toll, and he ended up dying. But this man, the thing I remember about my grandfather is as hard as he lived against Christ, he lived equally hard for Christ. AA meetings, he went back to the same people that he hung out with and the same people that got him into trouble, and he went back to them with the gospel and was after them and after them. Saw many, I remember at his funeral, person after person after person walking up to the podium sharing that they are in the kingdom of God because of Don Siegler. And the thing I remember about my grandfather is this, more than anything, he embraced his identity in the gospel and he lived it out. To the point that, listen, I, did, I would know nothing about what my dad knows about him if my dad had not shared that. All to the glory of God. Live out because you are accepted, not for your acceptance. That's why to put anything in that blank is crazy. Anything to put Christ plus anything is crazy. It's nothing. The answer is nothing. 
And I pray as we study Galatians that, we will, that the gospel will captivate our souls. What Christ has done for you and me will captivate our souls. That we will begin to see the gospel as not just our ticket to heaven, but an entirely new basis upon how we relate to God and others through the gospel. It's not just a ticket. It's a means of life. It becomes the source from which everything else about our lives flow. For the believer, listen to me, the believer, the gospel, the Christian life, literally for the believer, is simply going deeper and deeper and deeper into the gospel that which saved us. And we know, you say, well, how do I know, Chris? You know that the gospel has done its work in your life when you crave God more than anything else. That's ultimately what the gospel's job is to do in the life of a believer. When you crave God more than anything else, when, when God and His ways bring you more joy and you bringing Him glory, when that means more than anything else, that's Galatians. That we would go deeper and deeper to where everything else in this world means nothing. Look, and he says it in verse 14 of chapter 6. But may it never be that I would boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. But neither, for neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Literally, you are a new creation believer. Go deep in that. And I pray more than anything we'll do that, that, we'll, that at the end of this study we'll desire more of God than we did today. That there'll be a satisfaction in God that the things of this world have nothing to entice us with because our satisfaction is in God. And that we'll rejoice in the gospel not only for our salvation, but for our sanctification in our lives. 